If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me please to the book of 1 Timothy and chapter 4, where we're going to be looking tonight at verses 1 to 8. 1 Timothy and chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. Let's begin then at verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourselves towards godliness, or exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Please keep your Bible open there. Back in the beginning of the space race, when uh, the uh, uh, NASA uh, organization were making their Apollo um, missions ready, the very first Apollo mission, Apollo 1, got off to a disastrous start because on the 21st of uh, February 1967 there was a training exercise at Cape Canaveral and what happened was um, there were three astronauts who were due to go up in space whose names were August Chrism, Ed White and Robert Chaffee and they were inside a space cabin which was highly pressurised uh, with, with huge amounts of, of oxygen. And uh, they were inside this cabin in, in an exercise preparing them to go into space when there was a spark in one of the electrical equipment, pieces of electrical equipment, that sent a massive fire through the cabin. And because of the highly pressurized cabin, they couldn't get the people out. And they were killed, uh, sadly, before they'd even got into space. And Apollo 1 was a, a disaster from the beginning. 
Later on at the inquiry, Colonel Frank Borman, who was himself an astronaut, said the fault lied in a lack of imagination. He said we'd prepared for everything we could think of outside. We'd prepared for the the fire of re-entry. We'd prepared for the cold of space and all these things. But what they hadn't prepared for was things inside. And that's where they came undone. And you know what? I can't help thinking there's a a lesson for the Church of Jesus Christ in that as well. Because in these days that we're in, we're very concerned about what's going on outside. We're very concerned about developments in government. We're very concerned about the, uh, the teaching in the schools. We're very concerned about what is happening in our culture. How we're shifting more and more into a pagan culture. And rightly, we are concerned about that. But the danger is we're concerned about what's going on outside and we don't have any focus at all about what is going on inside. And in the Bible, the greatest danger to the church is not actually on the outside, but on the inside. Vance Havner once said uh, about Noah's Ark, the greatest threat to Noah's Ark wasn't the floodwaters on the outside, it was the woodworm on the inside. (laughs) And uh, if you get the point of what he's saying, you apply that to the church, that's where the dangers are on the inside. And here in this chapter of the book of Timothy, the Apostle Paul is warning Timothy that There is a danger coming for the church on the inside and we need to be on guard about it. It is the danger of apostasy. He says in verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now the phrase there in your English Bible, giving uh, uh, depart from the faith, is in Greek the word apostasia, which means apostasy. Now, what is apostasy? And if you uh, ask three Christians, you'll get four or five different opinions as to what apostasy is. But I'll give you my definition of it. Apostasy is professing believers becoming unbelievers. Apostasy is not exactly the same as false teaching. It is linked to false teaching, and we will see that in this passage. But it is to do with people not just going wrong in the faith, but as he says here, departing from the faith. Elwell's uh, Dictionary of Theology, which is a a big tome uh, that I've got in my library, uh, defines it this way. Apostasy, a deliberate repudiation and abandonment of the faith that one has professed. Apostasy differs in degree from heresy. The heretic denies some aspect of the Christian faith, but retains the name Christian. And there you have it, uh, put it uh, a little bit more clearly. So it's professing believers, and I say professing, those who say they were Christians, but I, I don't believe a real Christian loses his salvation, but professing believers becoming unbelievers. And This is something that Paul warned that would happen in the last days. He said the Holy Spirit was telling him this. The Spirit expressly says, and that's a little verse, by the way, it shows the scriptures were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as Paul was writing this, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit said that in the latter times, 
And uh, the Greek word for times there is kairos, at different stages, towards the end. That's what it means. Some will depart from the faith. And uh, this was what he was warning uh, Timothy about. Let me give you an illustration or two of this in our day. I used to get uh, John MacArthur's organization's uh, uh, prayer letters and, uh, uh, and materials sent. His organization is called Grace to You. And in one of his letters he sent out some time back, he told the sad story of somebody who had written in to their organization uh, asking to be removed from their mailing list. A man called Steve. Steve wrote these words in his letter to John MacArthur and the organization. He said, over many years, I have been blessed to receive free tapes, CDs and books from your ministry. Thank you. At that time, I really appreciated them. Now, I no longer believe in the God of the Bible or in Jesus Christ. Ten years of full-time ministry proved to me that there is no God and that the God of the Bible does not care. So work that one out. I now reject Christianity and have come to peace. What was at first a great loss has now turned to joy, peace and freedom. I did not leave the faith because of some extreme sin. I left because the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are all fantasy. I am happy now. I live in the real world. I only feel guilt about the many people whom I led to Christ and exposed to the lies of Christianity. I'm not mad at Christians, I'm not mad at you. However, I am mad at myself for not being a more critical thinker. I won't make this mistake again. Again, thank you for many years of quote-unquote help and quote-unquote teaching you all shared with me. That's an example of apostasy. It's a very sad thing when a professing believer becomes an unbeliever. More recently, we have had uh, uh, a very uh, uh, notable example, perhaps known more to the young people in the church, where a young man by the name of Marty Simpson, who was one of the musicians and uh, part of the, the music group of Hillsong, and you've probably heard of Hillsong. We have songs like My Jesus, My Saviour, which is a Hillsong song. He, uh, he denied the Lord Jesus Christ as being his saviour anymore and went back. And I think now uh, I've seen a film out called Hillsong, which is, I think, a non-Christian film, uh, basically telling his story, how he has turned away from Christianity. So this is sadly what the Bible said would happen, and it is happening in our day. Now, the Bible warns us it can happen in three ways, as far as I can see. First of all, people can turn away because of persecution, uh, with the idea that they can come back later. I think you have an example of that in the book of Hebrews, where the writer to the Hebrews is warning the Jewish Christians about going back uh, because they want to avoid persecution. And they think, well, they can become Christians again, you know, get born again a second time to cover up the sin of, uh, of going back on the Lord Jesus. But he's warning them there not to go back, but to go on. And uh, true Christians will persevere in the faith, is what he says. That's one type of 
uh, apostasy. And I believe we will see that continually throughout the history of the church. You remember in the parable of the soils, which the Sunday school we're doing this morning, the Lord Jesus told about the seed that fell on stony ground and it didn't have much root. And when the sun comes up, which is the heat burning down on it, it withers away and perishes. And Jesus said that that's what it's like for the believer who uh, falls away because of opposition for the word's sake. So that's one type of apostasy. Another type of apostasy is, I think, even more serious. It's when people turn away to atheism. And this is a type of apostasy that is definitely warned about in the last days in the book of Thessalonians. If you just turn over a couple of pages to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, go back a couple of pages, I should say, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse 3, he's been talking here about the coming of the Lord Jesus, uh, uh, the second coming and the tribulation coming. And he says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. Now, the phrase falling away there is in Greek, again, apostasia. Now, there are some Christians, uh, some of my friends, who think that the falling away there is a reference, actually, to the rapture. Uh, and they say, you know, our, our sort of being taken away is, is, is like the falling away in, in heaven. I get why they're trying to do that, but I think they're wrong. I don't think that's what the verse means at all. Apostasia means falling away. It's not so, the rapture is not something we do, it's something Jesus does. Uh, the falling away here, I believe, is falling away again from the faith and becoming an unbeliever. And in the context of the last days, they will then become followers instead of the Antichrist. And that's a, a very serious type of apostasy when people turn away to atheism. But then you have others who turn away to false doctrine. And this is a a type of apostasy which is replacing the truth with lies. And this is something which I think Paul is especially warning about here in in 1 Timothy chapter 4. The key verse for me in chapter 4 is verse 7, where he says, But reject profane and old wives' fables, by which I think he means the false teachings, and exercise yourself towards godliness. There is a falsehood that has been trying to be brought in in replacement of the truth. And this is a type of apostasy that uh, we need to be very, very careful of. Let me put it to you like this, a little illustration. I've got a book here, okay, it's a hymn book, it could be any book. There's two ways in which you can turn over a book. You can do it all in one go, just like that, pick it up and all in one go, turn it over. And that's done very quickly. Or you can open it and turn page after page, after page, which is a much slower process, but a much more thorough process, until you come to the end of the book, and the last cover, you turn it over. Now, both have led to the book being turned over, but one was more gradual and thorough. I want to suggest to you that's how apostasy works. For some people, it's a sudden, dramatic decision. But other people, 
as false teaching comes in, it's like page after page being turned. And more false doctrines are introduced until what you end up with is the same result, uh, falling away from the truth. And that's what I believe Paul is warning about here in the book of Timothy. A major change to the stand for the truth. And this is something we do need to study and understand. Paul said in, chapter, in verse 6 there, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. He wants us to know. So I want to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, and therefore I want to instruct you in these things. Now, that's what apostasy is. Let's, before we get into the passage, let's just think for a moment, why does apostasy happen? Why is it that some people depart from the faith? Why do they turn away? I believe there are three reasons why people uh, apostatize. Disappointment, delay, and deception. Disappointment. The Lord Jesus warned us in Luke chapter 18 that when he comes back, will he find faith on the earth? Do you remember he said that? But do you know what came before that? It was the parable of the woman who was a persistent woman and she was going to the judge. And Jesus told that parable in the context of prayer that his disciples should not give up, should not faint, but always keep on praying. And I think you can connect both ends of that, of that uh, and see the point. Many people will fall away in the last days because of disappointment, what they feel are unanswered prayer. Well, I prayed about things and it didn't happen. Therefore, that proves it isn't true. And this is what we hear people say. But Jesus warned, don't give up. He said, keep praying. And uh, as we saw this morning uh, in the, the woman of great faith, the Syrophoenician woman, her faith was rewarded because she persevered. Some people will fall away because of disappointment due to things like unanswered prayer. Other people will be disappointment with false expectations about Christianity. One of my concerns about the prosperity gospel is it raises people's false expectations about what Christianity is like that we come into health and wealth and and all these things and I, I know people who've asked me to pray for their children when I was in Reading I had a lady come to me once said I want you to pray for my son he's very sincere but he goes to a very hyper Pentecostal charismatic church and they went off to London to one of these big things up at Earl's Court and uh, there was a speaker there who was promising health and wealth if people would give to his ministry and he's been in financial debt so he wrote a massive check to give to this ministry to get himself out of debt and it hasn't happened and I prayed for him and I have to say the man did waver now that situation is not uncommon people have a false expectation because of false teaching and it disappoints them that's something to be on guard against and to pray against also, delay is another reason, I think, from the Bible that we can see that many people will fall away. In the parables of Matthew 24 and 25, the Lord Jesus warned not only of the signs of the times, showing that, the Lord, showing that we could know that the Lord's coming was drawing near, but he also, at the end of those signs, gave two parables. The parable of the, the, the servant who said, my master delays his coming. 
And he ate and drank with, the, with the, uh, the people of the world and abused the servants of God. And the Lord Jesus said when he can, he will deal with that wicked servant. But you see, there was a delay that caught that man out. In the same way, in Matthew 25, the Lord Jesus told in the parable of the ten virgins that the, master, uh, that the bridegroom delayed his coming and they all fell asleep. And delay is something I think that in the last days will lead to a falling away. I'll give an ever illustration from a previous church. I might have shared this before. But uh, there was a lady uh, I knew uh, who lived in another part of the country. And uh, she had, I think, three brothers. And she was one of four children. Her father was a very keen Christian very keen Christian, absolutely an all-out evangelist, loved the Lord, loved Israel, loved the second coming, had a prayer meeting in his home uh, for, for the Jewish people and was probably one of the most evangelistic men I've ever met. Lovely man. Now, when in 1967 the Jewish people regained control of Jerusalem, he showed this to his children and he said, look, do you see this in the Bible? Do you see this in the Bible? This is what the Bible said was going to happen. That it would come back. And it's a sign the Lord is coming again soon. And the children all thought that meant he's coming like this time next week. And she said, after the years have gone by and the Lord hasn't come back, all three brothers had gone away from the Lord. From away. You see, they weren't ready for delay. They saw the signs of the times and they were excited, but nobody had told them, yes, Jesus could come back today, but he might not come back for another thousand years. That's anathema to hear to some Christians, but it's true. Nobody knows the day or the hour. And one of the things I draw from those two parables is that even with the, the sort of the accelerating prophetic program, there will be a slowdown before the showdown. And it can lead people, sadly, to fall away because of the delay. Something we've got to prepare our minds for. Remember in the Old Testament, Aaron and the, children, the children of Israel came to, Mo, to Aaron and said, Where is this Moses? He went up that mountain and he said he was coming back and he hasn't come back down. And they said, make us gods. And they ended up worshipping the image of a beast. What a warning that is of the falling away and uh, uh, of the delay factor and how we get impatient with the Lord's return. So I think that is another reason for concern uh, about apostasy and something we must be on guard about and uh, be faithful to both sides of the message of the Lord's return. But finally, I believe apostasy will happen because of deception, as I've said. And I think this is what this passage here is about especially. False teaching coming in, which gradually changes the the. The, the, the way we understand Christianity from truth to total error, which is at the end unrecognizable for the thing it started out as. And this is what we're seeing happening in our day uh, even now. So let's start now having a look at this passage and in the last few minutes we'll have a look at it under under four headings. I want to see the coming apostasy. I want to see the powers behind the apostasy, the promoters of the apostasy, 
the practices of apostasy and the protection against apostasy in this passage. So first of all, then, the powers behind apostasy. Paul says in verse 1, coming back there, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, false teaching doesn't arise in a vacuum. It comes from a heart of a person. And that person is the devil. He is the one who is behind false teaching and uh, behind deception uh, of this nature. And that is why Paul says that they give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now that does not mean doctrines about demons. Okay, It's not wrong to believe in demons as entities. That is a biblical thing. The Lord Jesus Christ cast demons out of people. And uh, it's something we see in the Gospels very clearly. So it's not doctrines about demons. It's spirits and demons that deceive. Now you say, well, I've never met a, a spirit. No, you haven't. But maybe you have. You see, just as the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this letter, remember I said that back in verse 1, the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, so the evil spirits inspire these men to bring false teaching. Now, let me give you a very uh, vivid illustration of this, one or two vivid illustrations of this to help you see this uh, with some false teachings that are more obvious. Take, for instance, Mormonism. Where does Mormonism come from? Well, if you follow the history of Mormonism, it began with a man by the name of Joseph Smith in the late 1700s. And he claimed that the angel Moroni came to him, and uh, Zana Fruchtenbahn says Moroni just happens to rhyme with baloney. The angel Moroni came to him and told him where he could find some special some gold plates that had some ancient Egyptian writing on buried in America. And he was given some special glasses, like you see kids with 3D books having glasses, to be able to read the hieroglyphs on this writing. And that was where it came from. Interestingly enough, uh, I wrote a little booklet on Mormons years ago. And one of the things I drew on was a, a, a Uh, a quote taken from Time magazine on the 20th of May 1985, page 44, where Joseph Smith uh, is, obviously he was dead and gone by then, but the person in the interview said this about Joseph Smith. He said to Martin Harris, who was the man who helped him, that his his first convert, uh, that quote, an old spirit... That was the phrase he used, an old spirit, end of quote, who later transformed himself into, quote, a white salamander, a snaky type creature, end of quote, told him where to find the gold plates. He says he got it from an evil spirit. And when we find out that Joseph Smith's mother, Lucy, was into the occult before him, then 
we have no surprise. Interestingly, this may just be a coincidence, or it may not be, but Anton LaVey, who wrote the Satanic Bible, who was the, was the head of the, the Satanist church, the evil spirit who he uh, writes about in there is uh, the, the god of the living dead, the god of the ghouls, called Marone. I think there's a coincidence there that is too important to ignore. He was an evil spirit. He had an evil spirit deceive him into false teaching. There's another illustration which is frighteningly similar but uh, is more ancient than that. And it goes back to the year, I think it's 632. And forgive me if my facts on this uh, are not exactly accurate because I'm doing this from memory. But a man by the name of Muhammad went into a cave and he who was illiterate was empowered to write a book which has turned the world upside down ever since. The book called the Quran. Where did he get that from? He said he was helped by the quote-unquote angel Gabriel who came to him to help him do it. Told him to recite. And he, he wrote it down as he recited it. Now, that wasn't the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel in the Bible came and preached the Lord Jesus Christ to Mary, came and preached the coming of Christ to Daniel and so on. That was a different angel masquerading, an angel of light masquerading uh, as Gabriel to deceive uh, that man, if that is even a true story. But there you have two illustrations of spirits that gave men doctrines. And those false teachings have come into the world. And this is the point I'm trying to, trying to get across to you. That false teaching comes from the devil. And that's why it matters so much that we are careful about what we believe. And what we preach and what we study and, uh, uh, and the things of the truth. This is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare isn't always about going around casting down demons here, there and everywhere. Sometimes it's about getting our theology right and preaching it right. Because there's a battle on for the truth. And this is what we've got to work for and pray for in our day. Because when a man gets to, to, to preach the word, you can be sure that there's two sides fighting over the word going out. You can be sure the devil will be doing all he can to confuse the man's mind for truth. And the Lord Jesus will be uh, working to help him stand for truth by the power of his spirit. Praise God, those of us who know the Lord can have faith in his power. But it shows it's a serious business. That's why Paul, uh, John says in 1 John 4 verse 1, test the spirits to see whether they be from God. Because the, the preacher has a spirit within him. And uh, this is the matter we're dealing with. So they're the powers behind these false teachers and uh, false teachings and why we must take it seriously. The second thing I want you to see here is the promoters of apostasy in verse 2. He says about these people speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And now he turns to the men, the vehicles of these of these spirits, the men themselves. And he says they are men who speak lies in hypocrisy. And this is something, uh, quite a shocking statement to understand. 
In the Greek, the word speaking lies is a word which is pseudologion. Now, you know what pseudo is. If something's pseudo, if I'm a pseudo-intellectual, what am I? I'm somebody who's pretending to be an intellectual. Well, pseudologion is a pretend word. It's speaking lies. And these people are are, are pseudologians. They're bringing something in replace of the truth. And they're preaching lies as if they were true. And they're speaking them in hypocrisy. The word for hypocrisy means literally to be two-faced. And, uh, you know, we sometimes say somebody's a two-faced old so-and-so. And uh, some preachers, that is actually the case. They know what they're doing is wrong. And this is what Paul is warning against. These men are speaking lies in hypocrisy. You say, well, how can they get up and do that? Do they have no shame? No, they don't. If you look in the next part of verse 2, he says, their own consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They've gone against their conscience with regards to the truth so much, they no longer think it and feel it. You know, I know something about guitar practice because I'm a struggling guitar player. But one thing I know is when I'm trying to learn something difficult and perhaps I've got to stretch my fingers in an unnatural position to make a particular chord or something, do you know how you do it? You can't do it at first, but you just have to keep pressing yourself into it every day. Get up, do it a bit more again every day, make that shape again every day, and after a while you can do it without even thinking about it. That's what happens to these people's conscience. They, they, they want to get something, and so they're, they're willing to battle against their conscience to get it. Can I be honest with you? Some of the church growth books, and this is what a lot of church leaders like myself have been tempted with uh, because we see the situation as it is tonight. We want to see the church grow because we're a small number. But a lot of the church growth books are really teaching people not how to grow wheat, but how to multiply weeds. They, they, they advocate all sorts of strange and wrong practices. And uh, some people, they know it's not true, but they want to get a crowd. So they'll go along with it. We throw this out, we throw that out, and we will do anything to get a crowd. As one person said to me once, all that matters is bums on seats. And I said to him, no. It's not all that matters. Truth matters. And we don't just want to fill the church and preach lies. We must preach the truth. And the promoters of these things are dangerous people. There was a a little girl who went to church one day with her mum. And it was a very lively Pentecostal preacher. And they had uh, had him mic'd up with one of these leads on him. And uh, it was in the olden days where you didn't have a cordless one. Uh, You had it plugged in down to the bottom. And as he paced up and down the pulpit, the lead kept getting pulled and kept getting pulled. And this little girl watched this energetic preacher. And he was raising his voice and really taking off. And she turned to her mummy and she said... Mummy, if he gets loose, will he hurt us? (laughs) She thought he was on a lead to keep him from getting loose. Well, I have to say, some men, when they get loose, they will hurt you with their lies and their hypocrisy. And therefore, we need to pray that God keeps these people out of our pulpits and pray that God protects the church from these things. The promoters of apostasy. 
Then thirdly, we see here the practices of apostasy. Because here Paul gets uh, nitty-gritty about some of the things that were being taught and practiced there and then uh, at Ephesus, where Timothy was with these false teachers. And they're still here with us today. He says, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. The Lord Jesus said that you can uh, tell a a tree by its fruits. Well, one of the fruits of these trees is their false teaching. And they have two false teachings that Paul highlights here. Now, this is not exhaustive or exclusive, but these are two very relevant ones. And what's ironic is that they are very much in vogue today. And that is to do with meat and to do with marriage. Let's deal with meat first of all. He says they, let's deal with marriage first of all. He said they forbid to marry. Now we have groups around today, the Roman Catholic Church especially, uh, which forbids its priests to get married. Ironically, I I pulled out a newspaper cutting I tucked away on 1 Timothy 4 some years ago, and it's where the Pope, and it was a front page of of a newspaper, said that sex is good for marriage. And I cut it out, I thought, that's unbelievable. (laughs) Put it here in this passage, because, you know, he's saying sex is good for a healthy marriage, and yet he won't allow his priests to get married, to live a healthy life. This is why we have so many frustrated sexual priests committing wicked, terrible sins in, in, in the name of Christianity. And it's a, a major, major thing. And forbidding to marry is, uh, is one of those false teachings that is around. And beware of that because marriage is, uh, is given by God for our help living in this, holy world, in this unholy world. But then he goes on more elaborating with the meats, and he says they command to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Now, some groups do have a dietary law system. And in the days of the New Testament, there were many religions that had it, but especially those who were coming out of Judaism. They still had kosher consciences, if you want. They wanted to follow uh, the kosher laws of the Old Testament. Uh, And that's okay if you want to. But the danger is when you say people have to. And this is what these people were doing. They were maintaining and saying that people have to. They were commanding them to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. And uh, we have groups like that still around today. that are still uh, active in the world. For instance, we have the Seventh-day Adventists. The Seventh-day Adventists live on a kosher diet. And uh, they don't eat bacon and things like that. But similarly, you have the Jehovah's Witnesses who don't eat fat and things like that because uh, uh, they argue um, that, uh, the, uh, of the blood of the animal in the fat and so on. And then you have other groups like the Mormons who command their people to abstain from things like caffeine. And foods which God created to be with thanksgiving are to be received 
by those who believe and know the truth. Dietary laws are overturned in the New Testament by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look here in verse 4, he says, For every creature of God is good. Now, we see that back in Genesis chapter 1, don't we? When God made the different things on different days, he said, it is good. And when he made the animals, he said, it is good. And in the Lord Jesus' teaching uh, about what makes a man unclean, he said, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, it's what comes out of him. His sinful speech, his lust, his anger, his murder. That's what makes a man unclean, not what goes into him. And uh, I think it's Mark, in Mark 7, uh, who says that the Lord Jesus therefore made uh, that all foods be clean. Mark seven nineteen. Similarly, Acts 10, 9-16, you remember the vision that Peter had of the animals coming down. The Lord Jesus said, rise Peter, kill and eat. Uh, food there was legalized, even what had previously been non-kosher Jewish food. Uh, is now acceptable. Every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. So thanking God for your food, receive it, uh, say grace over it and you can eat it because it is sanctified, as he says in verse 5, by the word of God and prayer. Now, we need to be very careful about this because this is something which is very much rising up again in our culture uh, with the rise of veganism. And vegans, uh, some people are vegans out of their own conscience, but some people are militant vegans. Uh, In 2018, some police officers in Wales uh, were having a cooked breakfast and one of them posted it on their Facebook page and said, here's the officers all enjoying a lovely cooked breakfast, sausages, meat and so on. And uh, this is, you know, we're supporting the Welsh farmers. And they got hammered by the vegans. How thoughtless of you. All the people of us who are vegans and we see the police so-called eating their food. Jeremy Vine on Radio 2 had uh, uh, somebody come in who objected to him eating a ham and cheese sandwich. Came into his studio and caused problems because of it. And this sort of thing is going on more and more. Morrissey, some of you who know Morrissey is, Morrissey was the singer of a band called The Smiths, uh, and they were always vegetarian. They had an album called Meat is Murder. But he's becoming more and more outspoken. He said this, I see no difference between eating animals and paedophilia. If you believe in the abattoir, you'd support Auschwitz. There's no difference. It's not necessarily anymore, this is my conscience, I don't want to eat meat. Now, you're wrong if you eat meat. And they're commanding it on others. And uh, they're pressurizing high street uh, uh, vendors to change their, their, what, what is on their menu. And dear Christian friends, mark it down. That pressure will come in the church as well. And the pressure of veganism will come back on us as well because the world always ends up influencing the backslidden church. And we have to be careful not to reject food which God created to be received with thanksgiving. These sort of practices are on the rise and uh, we need to be careful not to be led astray by them. 
Then we see finally the protection against uh, apostasy in verses 6 to 8. And those examples I just gave part of, the way, uh, are part of how the gradual change comes in. Verse 6, uh, now the protection. He says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. What is the answer to this problem of apostasy? It is faithful ministry. There's a pastoral answer which is faithful ministry of the word of God. People need to be given, and I'm going to use this as a pun, meaty Bible teaching. Having talked about vegetation, vegetarians and foods being rejected in the previous verse, Paul now says people need to be nourished in good words. You see, he's playing on words. Uh, he's making a change. And isn't it interesting that the Bible is called meat and milk. And uh, those things are descriptions of the Bible. He says, you need to be a person who's growing in these things yourself and teaching them to others. And he cautions Timothy himself to exercise himself towards godliness. Uh, not to fall into the false teachings of, that are like old wives' fables. Some of these uh, things that uh, are old and, and false teachings and uh, which are profane to the truth. But exercise yourself towards godliness. And he says, exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And he's saying, Timothy, you need to train yourself in godliness so that you can teach others and pass it on faithfully. And a faithful ministry is one of the ways God protects the church against apostasy. That's what we need to pray for. Pray for a faithful ministry. And I thank God for your prayers. And let's work in this on ourselves personally as well. We may not be pastors, but let's take this heat, this instruction to ourselves. Let's exercise ourselves towards godliness. Uh, the, the contrast there with physical exercise, I can't help wondering whether or not Timothy was very keen on going down the gym. And Paul was, and they did have gyms in Greece and in the Greek world. It was a big part of the Greek culture. And Paul might have been saying, Timothy, just make sure you're not spending too much time lifting weights rather than opening your Bible. Keep yourself in the word of God because that's what's going to keep you spiritually healthy and walking in the right way. Years ago, there was a, 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 a big uh, um, uh, tower block office building in America. And it was uh, over 42 floors high. But on the 42nd floor, you can imagine being that high up, cracks started appearing on the wall. Quite serious cracks. And the people who worked there, they pointed it out to the people who they were leasing the building from. And they, they said, you know, we, we're concerned about this. So the owner of the building, he contacted the architect and arranged to meet the architect at this place uh, to show him these cracks. Well, the time came when the architect was due to show up. And uh, the owner of the building was up there on the 42nd floor looking at his watch. And he says, where is he? Where is he? 
and he called for a member of staff to go downstairs and see if he'd checked in yet. Well, the man had checked in, so where was he? Well, you know what? He wasn't up on the 42nd floor. He was down in the basement. When they went down in the lift and they found him down there, he said, why are you looking down here when the crack's up there? He said, I'll tell you why. Because if there's cracks on the 42nd floor, there's something wrong with the foundation. Things are going wrong down here. And do you know what the problem was? There was a janitor who was chiseling out air bricks and taking bricks out of the wall for his own building project at home. And he was taking out some of the building's bricks. And as a result, it was weakening the rest of the building. This is what's happening in Christianity. As truths are taken away, we need to keep the foundation strong through faithful preaching. And uh, this is what Paul called Timothy to do. So let's be on guard against apostasy. And let's pray that God keeps us from it. And thank God for the guidance of the Holy Spirit to give Paul this instruction here that we may be warned. And the power of the Holy Spirit to help us grow in the word day by day that we may be kept in our walk with him. Let's pray.